be with you today as we begin this season in the church, which is called Pentecost, when we celebrate how the Holy Spirit works through the church. We begin this season in our culture called summer, and we're looking at how we are surprised by God, how God is so big and powerful and loving that there's no way for our minds to get around it, and how God surprises us and shows us a life that's better than anything we could ask for or imagine for ourselves. We're going to be talking about that throughout the summer. Before we get into that this morning, I need to take just one moment. There's something in this church I do not want you to be surprised about, and that is that you know we've been talking about the possibility of a new building. We're having a church conference on June 18th at 10 a.m. in this room to vote on whether to pursue those dreams. It's been a dream of our church for 20 years. Uh, we have kind of our official uh, voting time as a church family. We're doing it at 10 a.m. on a Sunday so that most people can be here. The reason for that time uh, is because uh, in the United Methodist Church, our ch church law has not yet caught up with COVID and the digital age, and we will live stream the meeting, but we do not have the ability to, uh, based on our denominational law, to allow folks online to vote. So we're trying to find the time when the most people can be here. Would love for you to be here. Want you to know everything I know, everything anybody knows about the project. I want you to have all that information. You can find it all at concordunited.org slash new building. Would love to, to talk to you about it and the possibilities for our church in the future. Uh, now, uh, when we think about being surprised, I want to ask you something. Think about when is the last time that you stood around and you just stood in awe of something? Or the last time you just felt like your mind was blown? Maybe you were out on top of a mountain. Maybe you were at the ocean. Maybe you were reading a book and something within it caused you to just put the book down and think, I, I, just, have to, I just have to step back. And, and let that sink in. I can't take anything new in right now. I just have to, to step back and, and deal with that. Did you know there's actually a science behind what happens to us when we experience awe? And it's something for which we were created. And when you are in the presence of something bigger than you, more powerful than you, something outside of how your mind normally works, it's basically a reset button for your brain. Have you ever had your phone and your phone starts messing up and you like call the folks at Apple Care or you call the Android folks and they're like, okay, here's what we want you to do. Turn it off, right? And then turn it back on. And that fixes a lot of things. Uh, in, in our lives, sometimes we have to hit that reset button. That's what we do in worship every week. We come in the presence uh, of God to celebrate that presence together and how much bigger it is than us. And when we do that, people who've experienced that sense of awe, they're more creative. Uh, they're more emotionally healthy. They're, they're able to think about things in a new way. And uh, for us, awe can be good or bad. There are times we can experience bad things in life uh, that uh, cause us to step back in awe of, oh no, I, I don't have a way to think through this and then we need those good moments to show us, yes, the good is bigger, the good is greater. I've experienced both of those this week. Last, last Monday was Memorial Day. Day we celebrate those who've given their lives uh, in battle for our country, who've lost their lives in military service for our country. And as we were doing so, I was reading an article about 
World War II about the battle for Manila in the Philippines. It's a battle that at the time and even today doesn't get a lot of coverage because of some other things that were, were going on within the war at that time, but it was an incredibly gruesome battle between the Japanese who had taken over the Philippines and the Americans who were seeking to, to liberate the Philippines. I had no idea of everything that went on there. I didn't realize, and I've studied history. I, I understand that atrocities go all the way back in time. I understand that you can even find genocide in Genesis, but I didn't realize what happened there. I didn't realize that when the Japanese saw that the local people were siding with the Americans, that they were ordered to slaughter the local population, and they were told not to waste bullets, but to use their bayonets. And they used bayonets on men, women, and children, and even babies. And I just stepped back and I said, God, I can't understand this. I get it. I've studied here. I don't understand bayonets and babies. I just, I, I don't understand it. And I just, I just had to put the article down and, and step back. And I had to say, God, why do you put up with us? when we as humanity do things like that. And then I went on vacation this week. We ended up at the Grand Canyon. And uh, because I have the opportunity to share my vacation pictures with you, I'm going to. Uh, so I want, we, we ran, we got there, we ran to the Grand Canyon to, to see it. I'd never been there before, never been to the desert southwest of our country. It looks as different from East Tennessee as the moon. It was amazing. And we got to the canyon. I took this picture. You can barely see, it's so high, you can barely see the Colorado River there at the bottom, kind of in the middle of the, the picture. Uh, there are some spots you can't even see the river because it's so steep, it's dug so deep down. And it was interesting, as you saw people come to look at the canyon for the first time, some of you have been there, you've had the experience, everybody takes out their camera, everybody's taking pictures, and then gradually you just see people take their cameras away. And they just stand, and they just look. Because you realize your camera can't do it justice. I'd seen pictures like this a thousand times. I had never seen anything like what it was like. The vastness, uh, the, the beauty of it, like what it was like to be there personally and to, to take it in. And it was interesting. This is a, a national park. This is a government-run entity. And even there, they looked for words to describe it. And I found this at one, in one spot. It was, they had, to, we believe in the separation of church and state, but they couldn't find any words to describe what we were looking at better than the scriptures. And so this was on one of the buildings. Sing to God, sing praises to his name. Lift up a song to him who rides upon the clouds. His name is the Lord, exalt before him. That's Psalm 68, verse 4. That, that was the only words they could come up with, even from a secular agency to describe what, what they were, were looking at. And it, it helped me, all, all my, my worries seemed to, to go away for a little bit and questions just to say, oh my goodness, God, you did this. You did this. And that, that's what, what we want to spend this summer looking at the nature and character of God and say, oh my goodness, God, this is, this is who you are. Uh, we need to do that this summer as a church family. We need to do that every day for ourselves because there's so much in this world that is difficult, that, that is painful, that seems more than we could bear. 
And we need to know that God is bigger than all that. One of the best ways you can do that for yourself is to read your Bible and pray every day. If you're not already doing so, we have a Bible reading plan. It's going to go along with this series during the summer that's looking at the nature and the character of God. You can find it at concordunited.org slash Bible. You can also pick up a hard copy uh, printed out at the Information Center in the lobby. If you go to the website, concordunited.org slash Bible, there you can sign up for a daily devotion that goes along with the readings. You can get it in email or podcast form, and it's going to take you deeper into the Word, uh, help you understand it more fully, give you a focus for your prayer life that day. Cannot encourage you strongly enough to to be a part of that. So today we want to look at God's nature as love and allowing ourselves to be surprised, allowing ourselves to stand in awe of God's love. And we're going to read quite a bit about it from the first uh, letter in the New Testament of John. John, Jesus' disciple, wrote about love. Uh, I want to to share these words with you. Uh, This is from 1 John chapter 4, picking up with verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, because love comes from God. Whoever loves is a child of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. And God showed his love for us by sending his only son into the world so that we might have life through him. In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Let me read that again. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, We also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is perfected in us. And John goes on, because John needs people to know, this love is a part of God. Love is God. So John says, so we have known and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Those who Now listen to this. Those who say, I love God and hate their brother or sister, are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this, those who love God must also love their brothers and sisters. That's a lot about who who God is. John felt the need to go on and on and on telling us about how God is love because that was the difference that Jesus made in the world's understanding of love. Before Jesus came, most of the people in this world believed in God. Almost every culture in that day and age believed in God. We don't have any records of any atheistic cultures from that day and time. They all believed in God and they believed God was power. God was power, and God was how you got what you wanted. And so all of them believed in different gods, and they believed their God was the most powerful, and they believed if you had certain religious practices, and you said certain prayers, and you offered certain sacrifices in certain temples, you could get power from God, and you could get God to do what you wanted God to do. You could go to a certain temple, you could say a certain prayer, 
and you could get rain to fall for your crops. You could go to another temple. You could say another prayer to another god or goddess, and you could get fertility and children in your family. And you could go to another temple and say another prayer to another god, and you could get victory over your enemies in battle. God was power. God was how you got what you wanted out of life, and everyone believed it. The Greeks believed it. The Romans believed it. The Babylonians believed it. The Assyrians believed it. The Samaritans believed it. The Philistines believed it. Everybody believed it, and Jesus said, you've misunderstood. Everyone believed God was power. Jesus showed the world that God is love, that that's who God is. And yes, God is powerful. Yes, God is all-powerful, but God's power functions in service of God's love because God's love is the heart of the nature and character of God, and everything else functions in service to that. So God's power is not there to be manipulated. God's power is not there as a wish list, as a Santa in the sky to give us what we want, whether it's good for anybody else or not. No, God's love functions to serve not to dominate. And we're going to celebrate how God is wise, but God's wisdom is not to manipulate, it's to reconcile. And we're going to, we're going to celebrate how God is a God of justice, but God's justice is not for retribution, not to get even, not to give people what they deserve, but it's in order to restore us to right relationship. That's why God is a God of justice. God God is a God of creation, but God didn't create everything just to look perfect. God created this world to allow for imperfection so that we could learn how to love. Uh, we're going to celebrate how God gave us rules and commandments, but God isn't just a rule giver. Those rules function for a reason. They are not limits to our fulfillment. Uh, those rules are guidance on how to love, and God is a God of judgment. But God's judgment is not for the sake of revenge. God's judgment is the sake that we might repent and turn back and come close to God. All this functions in the service of God's love. That's what we see in Jesus. That's the fundamental difference in Jesus' teachings and everybody else's teachings about God. And what we learn in Jesus is not only is God's love, but God's love will pursue us. God's love will pursue us uh, from the depths of hell to the heights of heaven. You know, uh, sometimes in our traditional service, we'll recite a creed called the Apostles' Creed. And we believe every word of that creed as United Methodists here at, at Concord United Methodist Church. Uh, we believe it sums up the basic beliefs of Christianity. And part of it, it says uh, Jesus was crucified he died, he was buried, and then there's this little line that sometimes gets skipped over, and it says he descended to hell. It says he went down to hell to set free the souls in prison. Now, someday in heaven, I want to ask him what that was like. I also would like to know the look on the devil's face when the devil's like, I thought I just got rid of this guy. And now he's going on offense. Now he's taken, uh, he's taken over my domain. Whatever else it means, uh, whatever cosmic reality uh, it speaks the truth of, what it means is that there's no depth of hell to which God won't pursue you. God will go wherever you are. No matter what somebody's done to you and how low you feel and how much pain you're in, God will meet you right there. 
No matter what you've done and how hard it is to look yourself in the mirror, God will pursue you right there. And no matter how confused you are about life uh, and wondering what everything means and what you're supposed to do, God will, will meet you right there no matter what. God will pursue you to the depths of hell and God will pursue you to the heights of heaven. When the sun is shining and God is in heaven and everything seems right in the world to you, God is right there celebrating uh, with you, walking beside you. I've got a friend uh, who uh, works in the horse business, and he was telling me about racehorses. And he says, one of the difficult things about a racehorse is they love to run so much that you can actually run a horse to death. It won't necessarily know when to stop. It will pursue its running that hard that you have to know when to tell it to stop. And I thought, what, a, what an example of God, that God will just pursue us. Even if it means the loss of his son's life on a cross, God will pursue us that far. God will pursue you to the depths of hell and the heights of heaven. And I have to tell you, when I look at God's pursuit of us, at God's love for us, there's a lot of it that I, I just can't understand. When, when I look at the depths of what's wrong with us, there's a lot I can't understand. And then when I look at the depths of the beauty and the grace of God, uh, there, there's even more that I can't understand. Friends, I stand here today, and when I told you that, that I read that article about genocide in, in uh, World War II, I still don't have an answer for that. I don't understand bayonets and babies, but neither do I understand a baby in a manger who came for the same people who could do that to one another. I don't understand our sinful selves, but neither can I fully understand our Savior's sacrifice. I don't understand why I keep making the same mistakes in life. I don't understand why I often say hurtful things. I don't understand why sometimes I'm, I'm oblivious to, to the feelings of others. I don't understand that. I, I recognize what the Apostle Paul said when, when, when Paul said, why is it that I do the things I hate and the things I love I don't do? I don't understand why I'm like that. I don't understand why we're like that. I, I don't understand the badness within us, but neither do I understand why God is so good to us. Neither do I understand why God does not give up on us. Neither do I understand how far he will pursue us. The greatest intellectual challenge on which I have embarked in my life is to understand the scriptures. I've been to graduate school to understand the scriptures. I have given decades of my life in intense study to understand the Bible and, and its word. And I can tell you, the more I get into it, and there are people and some of you in this room who may be much further along in your studies of it than I am, but the further I get into it, the more I see that not only is there more to understand than I will ever grasp, but even if I could read it all day for my whole life and talk to the smartest scholars in the world, what it talks about, I just can't understand entirely. I'm incapable. I don't have enough gray matter up here. I can't understand a God of love that vast. But I can worship. I can adore the God I see in Scripture. I can pray and I can love even when I, I can't fully grasp until that day in heaven when Paul says we will know even as we are known. And then there's, there's this even if you like the intellectual challenge of Christianity. 
even if you like learning, it never stops there. Remember what John taught us. He said, if you say you love God, but you don't love your neighbor, you're a liar. He didn't say you might be stretching the truth a little bit. Uh, he, he, he didn't say you might be prone to exaggeration. He said, you're a liar. We're not even allowed to use that word in my family. But he said, you're a liar. You have to seek to love others. Doesn't mean it has to be easy. Doesn't mean it comes natural. There are times in life when people do things that makes it unnatural for, for us to love. Or we might better say, more faithfully say, makes it supernatural for us, us to be able to love. But since if you're not trying then you're not in love with God. If you love God, God will teach you to love your neighbors. Now, if you refuse to learn, you don't, you don't really love God. And it's difficult when people do things that hurt us to learn to forgive and learn to love. It's difficult, particularly in life, when things happen and our world's kind of turned upside down. And we're not sure how to function or what to do. Because normally in those situations, we kind of turn inward. And we think, am I going to be okay? Uh, what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to, to my family? How's all this going to work out? But I've learned, especially in those situations, to quit asking those anxious questions. Because God's going to work it out. And to just say, God, I, I trust you enough with those questions. I'm going to ask another question. God, I don't understand how everything's working out right now. But how do I love the people in front of my face today? How do I love the people I encounter today? God, I'm going to ask that question. And I'm going to trust that if I will ask that question, that you will show me. And that all the others you're going to take care of anyhow. Because you said, seek first your kingdom and everything else would be added to us. And your kingdom's a kingdom of love. So I'm going to ask that question. And I can tell you when I ask that question, it's much easier to look at myself in the mirror at the end of the day than it is when I ask the other questions. And I think about how I carried myself during that. And I've learned that through a lot of, of trial and error. And I've learned that it can't happen. That even in difficult situations, God can teach us to love with a perfect love that is greater than we could do on our own. This week, our pastors and several uh, folks who've been appointed from our church are traveling to Lake Junaluska, North Carolina. We will gather uh, with other United Methodist churches and their leaders from throughout East Tennessee and Southwest Virginia, which comprise what we call the Holston Annual Conference. That's the place where pastors are officially appointed to their churches. Thankfully, back in the old days, as a pastor, you went to annual conference and you didn't know which church you would serve the next week. Thankfully, now we... We, we, know, we know a couple months, months out, uh, and a couple months out, I start sending uh, my bishop a lot of gift cards uh, to nice restaurants uh, with a note that says, Will would be perfect for Concord. Uh, thankfully, she agreed with me. Uh, but the, the, what, what, one of the things we do there, in addition to mission work and ministries we celebrate together, is we ordain pastors. We say, you have been called and you have studied and the church has affirmed that you should set aside your life uh, for ministry and leadership within, within the church in this particular role. And when they do, they have to stand on stage and answer a question that says, do you expect to be made perfect in love? And if you answered that question without thinking about it, yes, you know, just, oh yeah, yeah, sure, you'd be a liar. But if you answer no, you can't be ordained. So you have to study it because First John said you can reach perfection in love. Now, this isn't perfection in life. This isn't where you don't sin anymore. 
But this is the belief that God's Holy Spirit, if we will allow, can live in us such that there can be moments in life when we act out of the pure love of God for, for one another. That's, that's what this means. And it's, it's, it's hard to imagine. So to help you imagine, I'm going to show you more vacation pictures uh, because I can. So not only did we go to the Grand Canyon, we also went to the Petrified Forest and we saw Petrified wood, as, as you can, can see here. Now, this is a large tropical tree trunk that's out in the middle of a desert where there is no scientific way that a large tropical tree could ever grow. That's because this part of the earth used to be a tropical rainforest back when it was part of the big continent called Pangaea before the continents broke apart, and big tropical trees like this grew. That tree fell many, many years ago, and it was buried in sand. Because it was buried in sand when it fell and sand washed over it, bacteria and oxygen couldn't get to it to cause it to decompose. There was underground water that ran through it, through the sand, and that water stripped away many of the properties of wood and replaced them with the minerals that were in water. So it looks like wood, but if you tested it, it would test like stone. I bought, brought a piece back to, to show you, and I don't know if we can get a, a good camera angle on this, this piece of wood here, but this is petrified wood, and, and this, this outside part, this is the bark, uh, and it, it looks like wood, but if you feel it, it, it feels like stone. This would be the, the inside of the wood, like if, if you chopped it, uh, like you were, were chopping it to, to make, make firewood. So that's a little bit about, you know, how, how you encounter it. And you think, there, is it wood or is it stone? Well, it's wood that's been taken some of the things that made it weak have been taken out and it's been placed, replaced with something stronger uh, than wood could ever be on its own. And that's how God can make us perfect in love in a lot of ways. We, we don't have the ability on our own, but when God's Spirit comes and works in us, as John tells us, when we abide in God, this supernatural love of God can live in us and can flow through us. And we can love in a more perfect, stronger way now, not that we're perfect all the time, not that we don't make mistakes, but it's possible for, for that to happen. It's possible for your life to become much more loving. It's possible to live your life much more, much more closely to, to God because of what God can do in us. And I understand some of you right now are scientists, and you're like, well, I know all about petrified wood. And, you know, that analogy breaks down because of blah, 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 blah. I know. I know. There's no perfect analogy for God. Set, set that aside and just stand back and look at the way that God loves us. Because what God's love does is it pursues us and then it transforms us. And it meets us where we are. And as, as I was standing there at the Grand Canyon, uh, I looked down and I could barely see the Colorado River. And I just had this overwhelming urge I want to hike down there and I want to put my hand in that river. I want to touch the power that created this beauty that is almost beyond my imagination. So I talked to the park ranger and the park ranger was like, you can't hike there in a day. It's, you shouldn't do it. You can only go about halfway down. Please, please, please don't try. We have to pull a lot of people out by helicopter. We don't want to pull you out by helicopter. And I was making a face and she was like, I don't like that face. And I was like, I, my, this face means... I'm taking what you're saying as a significant recommendation. <laughs> but, but I think I can. 
turned out I didn't have time. I, I, I had a little bit of time to hike. I still think I could have done it. Uh, but I didn't really have the time it would take to go all the way down and back up. So I planned for what I could do, and I could get about halfway down and back up in time to have lunch with my family and have us go on and create do the other things on our agenda for that day. So I started hiking, and it was beautiful, and it was mind-blowing, but the whole time inside I was kind of sad. I wasn't going to be able to touch the water. I just wasn't going to be able to. So I get about halfway down, and suddenly it's like I'm in a rainforest, in a desert, on a cliff, Suddenly, all around me is like a rainforest, uh, and I found this. Let's let's show the video. Um, th this this isn't the Great Smoky Mountain National Park. This is what I ran into halfway down uh, the Grand Canyon in a place called Havasupai Gardens for the Havasupai tribal people, who there planted crops there uh, on on a small little shelf within the cliff because there was a natural spring coming out. And there in that rainforest in the midst of a desert, uh, I got to put my hand in that stream. That same water, that same power that was all the way at the bottom uh, came to me halfway down because I couldn't get all the way there. And there are a lot of times in life when we feel like we need to do this and we need to do that to be worthy of God's love and we can't get all the way there and we think we forfeited it and God says, I'll meet you where you are because you'd never get here on the own. Not a one of you, not the best one of us would ever get there entirely on our own. So God says, you come as far as you can and I'm going to meet you. The Bible says when we seek to draw close to God, God seeks to, to draw close to us. That's what God does. That's how God's love pursues us. And that's what we celebrate when we come forward to communion. Jesus said, I know. He gathered with his disciples in the upper room before he was going to be crucified. He said, I know you can't understand it all. I know you won't know what to do. But when you take this bread and when you drink this wine, I promise I'm going to meet you there. I'm going to be with you when you do that. Friends, I want to give you a warning before you come to communion today. If you want to walk out of this place with hatred still in your heart for a brother or sister, don't come to this table. Do not come. You don't want what it has to offer. If you want to walk out of this place and you want to continue to use religion and to use your ideas about God to try and manipulate others and get what you want out of this life, don't come to this table. That's not what Jesus has to offer. If you want to meet the greatest love that has ever existed, that will ever exist, if you want to encounter the greatest power in the, the universe, if you want to have a power beyond yourself who will teach you to love people you thought were unlovable, then this table is open to you. It doesn't matter if you've been baptized. It doesn't matter if you've been a member of a church. If you want what's offered by Jesus Christ, then He not me, not our church. He has opened this table to you. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org.
We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.